So what's up, everyone? My name is Trevor Walker. Uh, many may not know me, but if you do, you would know me as the Bailey Bridge worship leader at this campus. I've been creative pastor here at Clover Hill for 17 years, and I'm currently transitioning into a role that we're calling executive pastor. And tonight, I have the privilege of talking to you. Now, look, I don't preach. I just talk. So if you, if you want to get preached at, you're at the wrong spot. But I'll, I'll talk to you for a minute. Um, and that's all I got. So let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for the, the power of your presence we've already experienced. And Lord, we're just expecting you to continue it tonight. Help me, Lord, as I speak, that I would speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And help these folks to listen, that they would listen under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we're in this series called Encounter uh, that we started. Pastor Stan has hopes that during these 21 days, we as a church and individuals will encounter God in new ways, in a way that, uh, that is life-changing. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about encountering God through difficulty. Now, I'm excited to tell you a little bit about my story, but I'm also nervous because I'm about to, like, show y'all some, some junk in the Trevor Walker heart. And, I, and, and God's been laying this on my heart, and God told me I, at some point I was going to share with you, and tonight just happens to be that night. So y'all, y'all pray for me, and I'll pray for you as I open up and share you with, about my story. So I'm going to tell y'all some things that only really a few people have known about me uh, in my whole life, but I trust that God's going to use my story. But before I start, you have to know two things. So the first thing is this. You need authentic relationships before difficulty happens in your life. Crisis isn't the best time to build relationships. So it's not going to go well if you join this small group right in the middle of your crisis and you show up for the first time. You're like, hey, nice to meet you all. Uh, I need a babysitter for tomorrow. My sink fixed on Saturday, and I need some, some money for my dinner tonight. Nice to meet you. My name is Trevor Walker. You know, that's not exactly the best way to build relationships. But you'll find that when you're going through a crisis, you need people around you. Friends are established relationships that have to happen before the crap, crap hits the fan. Can I say crap at church? I don't know. I just did. All right. The best place for relationships is small groups. So put the work in. Get involved in one. You will thank me later. If you say, I don't know how to get involved in a, a small group at some console, we're having a, what's called group link here on January 28th in this room, and you'll come in, there'll be, there'll be 100, 200 people in this room, we will base it by night and different things, and you can find a small group to get a part of. So the second thing that I want you to know before I talk is that no one has it all together. In fact, most people barely have anything together. <laughs> the more I've learned about people is that pe- we're jacked up, man, bad, real bad. <laughs> Got a couple jacked up folks in the house. Church is an interesting organism because we're all pursuing God, and, and therefore we feel the need to present ourselves as having it all together. I, I don't know. It's been that way. I've been in church my whole life, and it was always that way. That's why we put on our nice clothes. We do our hair. We tell our kids not to do anything that they do at home. You know, we're like whenever, we just want to look like we got our, our junk together. All in hopes that people will look at us and think, oh, they're godly and close to Jesus. The trouble is this. We all have stuff in our lives that's heavy, sometimes difficult, sometimes even humiliating. 
If you think someone has it all together, I can promise you with 100% confidence they do not. If you look up on this platform or any other TV or any other church and you think that pastor has it all together, I promise you, I would bet everything that I have in my life that they do not have it all together. And as you walk through these doors and you see the people smiling and happy, you think, man, I wish I had their life. I bet you you don't wish you had their life. If you walk a minute in their shoes, you realize, man, I'd rather have my own junk than their junk. As I talk about encountering God through difficulty, you have to let your walls down and know that everybody in this room has something that they're fighting, something that they, they wrestle with. So in light of no one being perfect, I'd like to tell you about some of my challenges. Now, this is very hard. This is stuff that my parents and my wife only have known about me. And you probably won't even care, but to me it's a big deal to kind of let people know. But about the age of 10... I started having a life-altering condition that would cause me to lose control of my arms, my legs, and my facial muscles for about 20 seconds at a time. First time it happened to me, I was 10 years old in elementary school, and we were running the mile race. Y'all ever done that before? And I never—I was a healthy kid. I never had any problems. I, I, I ran and played and did my bicycle and all that stuff. And they said, go, and I ran, went to run, and my arms and legs got twisted up and curled up, and I fell to the ground, and all my friends were looking at me and running past me, and I, I mean, it was, it was absolutely humiliating. After that day, those episodes started to happen about 20 to 30 times a day. I, I found out that it was a genetic thing that my father had, and uh, a few of my siblings also have, and it was tough because it, it, the, the condition was set off by sudden movement, so like standing up, or walking, or going to run, that would cause these episodes. And it began to affect my life, really, in, in the form of anxiety. Because as you can imagine, having such an odd thing happen to you uh, all the time, you would start to fear everything from getting up to going to the front of the class, or uh, just whatever. <clears throat> Simple things like going to talk to somebody... Uh, would result in this 20-second episode where my arms would curl up and I didn't have any, any control over it. I was told by a doctor that they weren't sure what it was and uh, there was really no cure. So as a young man, I began, I began ministry on stage. I started playing in a worship team at the age of 10, right about the same time I was a little drummer at a church who didn't have any better drummers. <laughs> uh, but I started doing worship ministry and being on stage. And, man, I tell you, I was riddled with fear to have such an awful movement issue. Uh, every time I would ever take the stage, it, w- it would be done with, with, with tremendous anxiety. Like, I mean, if you've seen me before in the moments of those early years, I would just kind of like just, just sit there just scared to death about, man, this, that I'm about to have this episode. One specific time, I was 16. I was on a worship team, and I had to walk on the stage to lead worship, and I had a terrible episode that twisted my arms and legs up up into a knot, and I fell to the ground during the church service with hundreds of people watching. And can I tell you that I was was mortified. After the 22nd episode, I, I hopped up, and man, I ran out of that church. I ran through the parking lot, I ran into the woods. I just kept running until I couldn't run anymore. I was so, I was like Forrest Gump, man. Run, run, Trevor, run, man. I was just gone. You know, there was just such, such humiliation. 
I never wanted to see another soul in my life that day. I, I cried for what seemed like hours. Uh, Jenny eventually found me in the woods. <laughs> we were just kids then, uh, 16. She was my girlfriend. And, and I, that was when the first time I told her about the condition. And I wrestled with God. I asked God, why in the round, flipping world would you ask me to do platform ministry and call me to be a worship leader and then hand me this sack of poo of a condition? It's like, you, why, would you, why would you set somebody up for that? I wrestled with that for, for years. Every time I had ever taken a stage to lead worship, I had to pray to God, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. So I began to learn ways to hide it. Uh, I had to because it's like you can't live with, with that. So I found like tricks like putting my hands in my pockets so no one could really see the twisting. And, and then I developed this uh, humor and obnoxious behavior that just makes stupid jokes and try to distract people from realizing that I was twisted up. You know, that's a character trait my wife doesn't really appreciate anymore. But So I would just kind of learn to be silly to try and kind of like, well, look at this silly joke so you don't notice that my face is all contorted. Most of you guys who've known me all these years that I've been here don't even know that, I, that this is a problem. You, you, in fact, you probably never even noticed that I was having these things. When I finally opened up to some close friends who knew me for a long time, they're like, I never, like Pastor Eric, he's known me since I was 11 years old. We grew up together. And when I told him just a couple of years ago, he's like, I, dude, I've known you since you're 11. I've never seen it once. I just got good at hiding it and faking it and pretending. But it, let me tell you, the anxiety that came along, I had to constantly think, 20 steps ahead of what I was about to do. So, like, if I was about to walk up on a stage to play piano, it was two hours before the service. I was planning my route. I was planning what time I was going to make that initial step so that I could try to to hide it so people wouldn't notice it. And really, mostly my parents knew and my wife, Jenny. Jenna. That's another thing I have in common with Forrest Gump. (laughs) Jenna. Sorry, babe. So I, I have had countless episodes on this stage leading worship, walking on and off. I mean, there's been times when I would kind of move too fast and my arm would curl up and I'd hit a bunch of nasty piano notes. And someone would come up to me like, I heard them nasty notes you play on piano. I'm like, yeah, shut the, what up. You know. <laughs> one, one person told me one time that they were going to leave this church because I gave them an ugly look. And that pastors were supposed to be more friendly. But she had no idea. I was like having this muscle movement thing. And like she's leaving the church over. And I'm like, nothing I can do about it. This is what God gave me. It's this face, you know. If you don't like it, I'm very sorry. Can you give grace to people? Not grief. You never know what's going on with them. So, someone may be rude to you. And for all you know, they've lost a spouse. They lost their job. Or they have some kind of weird condition that causes them to look like something's wrong with them. I prayed countless prayers to God to heal me. I went to countless services. I, ha- I actually had tremendous faith that God could heal me. I knew it. I had, I had no doubt that God could heal me. That was never the problem. But for whatever reason, he, he just didn't, didn't heal me. So fast forward to 2013. I had spent my entire teenage years 
uh, with this condition and all of my 20s in this condition. And in 2013, I had been on staff and pastoral ministry here for 13 years at the time. So in 2013, all those years of of pent-up anxiety and the pressures of life, it caught up with me. And I, I actually had a mental breakdown in 2013. I had my first panic attack, and man, it spiraled fast from there into just an all-out anxiety disorder. Everything made me anxious. I mean, like thinking about going to the grocery store and getting bananas. I mean, I was like anxious about everything. It was like I was starting to be anxious about being anxious and being panicked about being panicked. It was like fear of what would happen. I started to have... Uh, panic attacks that were so severe that I would lose feeling in my limbs. Uh, often I would lose vision completely. There was several Sundays I would stand right here and, and lead worship, and literally I couldn't feel my arms. I was playing piano, but I couldn't feel them, and I was blind as a bat from the anxiety and the panic. It was, it was crazy. If you've never had a panic attack, which actually I have found out lots of people have suffered from anxiety and panic, the only way I can describe panic and anxiety is absolute torture. There's no other word to describe it except for torture. Fear had gripped my life, and it got so bad uh, by the spring of 2013 that I I couldn't even leave my bedroom. Yes, this is why I was a pastor. Yes, this is why I was a worship leader. I was so crippled by fear I couldn't leave the house. I felt so much shame, so much guilt, so much fear that, that a believer would, would face this. Like, how can I be a Christian and have such a dark time? After a couple of days of me not being able to leave my house, my wife, she called Pastor Stan and she said, this is bad. And... Um, He came to the house, and, and he prayed with me, and a couple of the elders anointed me with oil, and it didn't make a difference. And that's when I realized, man, I, I, I need some professional help. This is, this is, I need the pros for this junk. <laughs> My small group was super supportive. Man, I couldn't have made it without, without that crew. One, one lady in my small group when I was in the midst of this, she just basically said, give me your kids. I'm paying for you and your wife to go to Myrtle Beach for a week. Just, they, that was just a gift from someone in my small group. I had friends that were super encouraging. Man, I could not have made it through that season without Scott Jamerson and Brandon Core. man. Those guys just about every day would call me. Are you okay? How you doing? How you making it? I learned to be vulnerable. I had to be. I mean, I was, I was at rock bottom. So anyway, I have to leave a lot out of the details out for sake of time, but, but clearly you can see I was, in a, I was in a difficult season five years ago. Has anyone ever found themselves in a difficult season before? Am I, am I the only one? Sometimes we have a tough day, turns into a tough week, turns into a tough month, and then all of a sudden we blink, and man, it's like six months, and you're still in the pit of misery. My season was a long, drawn-out six months of mental healing 
I got lots of help. And although it, it was a tough journey, I can say that God carried me through that time and that today I am healed in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Over the last five years, it's, I've had to stay diligent in my fight against anxiety. It wasn't like, okay, I have that beat, now I'm good. It's like it's been something I have to keep working on. It. But I'm getting stronger in that battle every day. So one great thing that came out of that six-month season, I was talking to this neurologist one day because he was trying to make sure other stuff wasn't wrong in my head. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I was explaining this movement disorder that my family has, and we don't even know what it, what it is, whatever. And he said, that, that actually sounds like something that a close friend of, my mind, of mine is a specialist in, and he sent me over to see this, this doctor who specializes in um, movement disorders. And I saw this specialist, and she confirmed that it's this thing called dystonia. And if you look it up on Google, you could see what it is. It's a very rare uh, condition, and not my family history is the rarest form of the rare condition. Uh, but that, that doctor at VCU uh, Health was able to treat me, and I have not had one episode in five years. All glory goes to God, man. <clears throat> At age 33, it was just five years ago, I remember I started to not have the episode anymore, and I was right here on this sidewalk outside, and I just thought, all right, let's try these new shoes on for size. And I just, standing still, and I darted off and ran. And at age 33, it was the first time I was able to just run without fear of this crippling, twisting physical condition. And, man, I called... <laughs> I called my wife and I said, I just ran for the first time in a long time. And it was so good. So it changed my life and I give God all the glory for it. If I had never had that mental breakdown, I would have probably never found the cure. So praise God, even through darkness, God shines bright. So I tell you that story so you know that I've had challenges myself. I'm not about to tell you how to encounter God through difficulty without you realizing I've had some challenges. Don't you hate somebody who tells you how to do something and they never experienced it for themselves? So if you've been through challenge, if you've been through dark times, if you've been to the place where you feel like there's no hope, I know what that feels like, I know what that pit is like, and it's awful, and my heart goes out to you. And we'd love to pray for you tonight after service, uh, the prayer team, if, if you want prayer for that. I've been in the valley, I've been in the mountaintop, and I've been in such despair that I thought, God, just, just take me now, God. I have no other reason to live. I've lived it for sure. Some of you have faced even harder things than this. You, you faced losing a child or a life-threatening um, sickness or homelessness you, and stuff that makes my story sound like a walk in the park. And there's a lot of things that I could say on how to encounter God through difficulty, but I just, I just have one thought for you tonight. It's very simple. It's this. To encounter God in the midst of difficulty, focus on his goodness. That's it. Again, there's a lot I could say. We could go into deep theological debates on this and that, but I'm just going to tell you that. Focus on his goodness. Now, I know that sounds simple, and when you're struggling... It's tough to actually hear that as an answer. 
in fact, when I was in my dark season and someone would tell me, oh, Trevor, but God is good, I wanted to punch him in the teeth, man. I mean, it's just like, it's like shut up with that stuff. I don't need to hear that kind of, you know, people would give me those little church answers, you know, those little trite, little, they'd quote a little scripture at me, and I'm just like, I want to I hit them with their Bible. That's what I wanted to do. When you're soaking in a bath of despair, those cliche answers will straight tick you off for sure. I remember one time, right at the beginning of this season, I, I started having this panic attack on the stage, and it was really bad. I couldn't breathe. The room was spinning. Limbs are going numb again, and I, and I just ran backstage, and I laid out on that couch, and everybody's like, what's hap- What's wrong with him? And it was like so embarrassing, whatever. And, and Angie Grant, Pastor Stan's wife, she, she's into these essential oil things, you know. And so, so she read on a bottle that lavender helps with anxiety. So she rolled up back there and starts wiping lavender oils on my nose and, and, and praying over me and saying, Trevor, it's okay. And, and this is honest, honest to God. I said, Angie, if you don't get that out of my face, I'm going to shove it down your throat. <laughs> that is the truth, man. I didn't care that she was the pastor's wife. I just wanted to get that lavender crap out of my face. <laughs> when you're hurting, you don't really respond great. That's, that's definitely for sure. So for all you know, I might have done something to you, and you, I, but I was in a rough time. Anyway, every hard day I had, I would declare, God, you are good. In the midst of a panic attack where I literally feel like I'm falling out of the sky with no control, I said, God, you're good. When I would have a movement episode, I'd say, God, you're good. After a great day of ministry where I felt like I was successful, I would say, God, you're good. On the mountain, God, you're good. In the valley, God, you're good. In every little way in between, God, you're good. Sometimes, a lot of times, I didn't even believe it. But I would just keep saying it until I did. God, you're good. Every God, you are good was like a hard-fought step out of the pit. It's like one more rung on the rope where I was just pulling myself out of that pit. Or God was pulling me out the pit. When I questioned why God didn't heal me or just take away the anxiety, I would say, but God, I know you're good. I think it's okay to ask God, God, why would you let this happen? But I know you're good. God, why don't why, please God heal me? But I know you're good. Psalms 100 verse 5 says, the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. So here's what happens when you focus on his goodness. I got three points if you want to write them down or whatever. I don't care. Number one, focusing on his goodness brings hope because it reminds me he's faithful. Don't ask God to simply take away your situation. Ask God to carry through the situation, and teach you on the journey. There are so many times I would, I would just pray, God, if you would just take away this movement disorder, I could change the world. Just take it away, God, please. I'd beg him, I'd beg him, I'd beg him. And I finally learned that I needed to start praying, God, teach me. Teach me patience. Teach me joy. Teach me uh, what I need to know. Teach me dependence on you. Every step that I would take, not knowing if I would have the, the episode or not, God, every step I take, I'm dependent on you. Look back on those times when he's been faithful and declare, God, you are good. Hebrews says that God will never leave you or forsake you. 
in a dark moment, you can refocus your heart on the goodness of God. Why doesn't he heal right away? I don't know. But I know he's good. Why would he allow a child to die? I don't know. But I know he's good. The fact that God is always good gives me hope that the struggle is only momentary. That moment might be a day. That moment might be 25 years of living with a movement disorder. The moment might be six months of in the depths of anxiety and depression. But, but it is only momentary. Number two, focusing on his goodness brings perspective because it shifts my attitude. Listen, the devil wants you to believe that your situation will kill you or defeat you, but that isn't true. We have to think on things that are true. We have to think accurately about what we are experiencing. At first, I was like, man, I'm going to die from this, but that wasn't true. I thought, man, I'm going to lose my job. My boss is about to see me laid up in my bed for three days. I can't leave. I'm going to lose my job, but that wasn't true. When I began to focus on his goodness, my entire perspective changed. I could now pray in faith, not fear. I could now praise with confidence, not despair. I could now see myself as God sees me, not how the enemy would have me deceived to believe. Can I encourage you that brokenness is the seed that brings new life? Before seed can grow, it has to be broken. Even Christ had to be broken before he could offer forgiveness to the world. Broken on the cross. Pride keeps us from responding to his goodness. Pride says, you don't need help. Pride says, oh, I can do this journey alone. But I would say, humble yourself. Declare God's goodness and allow God to shift your perspective. Last thing, number three. Focusing on his goodness brings the encounter because it aligns me in worship. And that's what we're about to do. In just a few minutes, we're going to go into some extended worship time. We're going to go into some prayer time. We've got about, I don't know, 25 minutes or so left in the night. And we're just going to go after God. And we're going to focus on his goodness. And we're going to get aligned in worship. And we're going to encounter the Lord in a way that changes our hearts. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I will boast only about my weaknesses. To keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Paul continues to say, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Man, I can relate to that. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I grew up singing Jesus Loves Me. Y'all remember that song, Jesus Loves Me, this I know? And there's that line that says, I am weak, but he is strong. Remember that? And most of my life, that's kind of how I thought that's how that worked was I was weak, and he is strong. But it was in this journey that I realized that the Bible actually says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And I remember the first time I read that in, the, in, the, in that dark time, I looked at it again, I was like, you mean Jesus loves me who didn't say it right? What in the world? I've been singing that my whole life. When I am weak, then I am strong. 
It's in our weakness that God's glory can truly live and reflect in our lives. Our issues can be used purposely by God to bring us to repentance or to simply allow his grace to be displayed. Now listen, I'm not saying that God gives the thorn in the flesh or God brings the hardship. That's another discussion for another day. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that when we are at our weakest, we are in our most opportune place to see God work in our lives in big ways. Let me say that again. If You might need to pull on this nugget sometime in your life down the road if you ever struggle. When we are at our weakest, we are in our most opportune place to see God work in our lives in big ways. The enemy set out to steal my health, but God showed himself as healer. The enemy tried to steal my joy, but God showed himself as my sustainer. The enemy tried to steal my finances, but God showed up as my provider. The enemy tried to steal my purpose, but God showed me that he alone holds my future. God, I may be struggling, but you are good. I don't fully understand what's going on, but you are good. Listen, we, worship ba- we don't worship based on how we feel. We worship in response to who he is. I call this encountering God through difficulty because I truly believe that God carries you through it and doesn't leave you all alone in it. Let's turn our face towards God tonight, can we? Maybe you're not in the place of trouble tonight. That's okay. We can still turn our face towards God. Maybe this resonates with you, man. I just challenge you. Go after God in these next few moments. One more verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, whenever they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil, and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. Moses was an example for us to have the veil removed. And when we encounter God, we come to know him as a personal living presence. Tonight, let's stand across this room, can we? We declare God is good. God is good. And as a result, we can encounter him in such a way that we are left changed in his presence. Why don't you just close your eyes with me tonight. Maybe you want to lift your hands as as an act of surrender. Let's just kind of lay it all aside for the moment. With your own words, would you just say that? God is good. God is good. Make it personal. Say, God, you are good. God, you're good. You're good, Lord. Look, if you're in a situation, if you're struggling tonight, go ahead and let God know that struggle. Tell him. Tell him. Tell him, God, I, I don't understand this. Why this? Tell him you're frustrated. Tell him you're mad. You're mad that you got it. But then say, but God, I know you're good. God's not scared of us laying our junk on the line. He knows it anyway. 
So tell them. Tell them right now. But God, you're good. God, I don't know how that that next bill is going to be paid, but I know you're good. God, why would you allow that thing to happen to me when I was a kid? But I know you're good. Lord Jesus, as we worship, we declare you're good, Jesus' name.